the Broadcast Journal. My guest is Brendan Burke. He is the play-by-play voice of the New York Islanders on MSG Network. How are you doing, Brendan? I'm doing well. So, um, obviously, we just were here at the Prudential Center just off the Islanders-Devils game. How would you assess that game, that big game for the Islanders? Yeah, you know, I think uh, they were lucky to get out of that first period, I think was the big thing. Yaroslav Falak has been incredible since coming back from Bridgeport, and he kind of held them in the game in the first period, and then they got a bounce to go their way in the second and kind of finally settled into their game and kind of progressively got better as the game's gone along, and that's kind of been the M.O. of this hockey team. They haven't necessarily started games great, but they've always tended to get to where they needed to go by the end of it, and uh, luckily for them, they were able to uh, to get it together before the, the score was in the wrong way. So, uh, you visited all the rinks here at for the National Hockey League. Uh, Pantra Center has been the last building that you haven't gone to. So how would you assess all the different buildings, arenas in the NHL? Yeah, you know, it, it's been fun to kind of see everything. A lot of them are are very, very different. Us at Barclays Center in Brooklyn have a really low vantage point, really close to the ice. Uh, you know, up here in, in Newark, we're a little bit higher um, than a lot of other places. Uh, no one's as far away from the ice as Edmonton in the brand new building that they just built where you can barely see the players. Um, you know, but it, it's been very cool. There's been some really great ones. That I really like Montreal um, and the Bell Center there. They have a great vantage point same thing with uh, with Calgary and Vancouver that kind of hovers over the ice so um, I, I've learned uh, to adapt a little bit because uh, in the last 10 years doing minor league hockey the vantage points don't exist in buildings that we call from uh, from there we're used to it uh, a lot closer but it's been uh, it's been fun to get to see them all and, and I've actually already been to the, the new arena in Vegas so I know what that one's gonna look like next year too so let's talk about that what's the biggest difference between uh, calling the game from like where the broadcast positions in the AHL and the, the East Coast Hockey League before then and to the NHL now. In terms of the vantage points? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you were to take, uh, if you were to take the place where I called games from in Utica last year, which was the, the roof, basically, as high as you can get, it would probably be in about the, the 20th row here in, in Newark. I mean, it's just these, it's a, they're much smaller buildings. The capacity in the buildings on a lot of them are, you know, 6,000 or less. Um, and now, obviously, they're, they're you know, 15,000 or more in the NHL. So um, you just kind of uh, draw yourself a little bit farther back and make sure you can see those numbers. I mean, the, the tough thing that a lot of people, I guess, don't realize about broadcasting hockey is uh, you rely mostly on sleeve numbers as opposed to the numbers on their back because rarely do you ever see their back, but you see their arms a lot. So you've got to be able to see these relatively small numbers from pretty high distances. Um, and if you, you struggle with that, it's going to be a long night. All right, well, let's take it a little bit back. Uh, I see here that you were born in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, when your father was covering the um, Milwaukee Admirals. Of, um, he was covering the Admirals, Packers, and the Brewers. So do you remember any of your time in Milwaukee, or were you just too young? Yeah, I moved I moved when I was six um, to New Jersey. So I kind of uh, – I, I do remember a little bit, um, you know, I remember – going to some baseball games at the old county stadium in Milwaukee and I would go with my dad to, to training camp with the Packers every once in a while and, and just kind of, uh, and, and certainly hockey games I remember and I remember my time starting to play hockey because I played hockey my whole life and it started because I was living in Wisconsin so um, you kind of get a pair of skates as soon as you're born in Wisconsin and so um, I got on the ice when I was three or four and, and really started my love of the game back then when I was living there. So when you, when your father went to get a job uh, in terms of sports writing in New York, yep. uh, how did that change your, I guess, how did that change your life early on? 
Yeah, I mean, we moved uh, to New Jersey when I was six. My dad was covering the Yankees for a long time, and, and he's covered the Yankees, he's covered the Mets, he's covered the New Jersey Nets, he's covered a lot of different things, um, you know, Olympics and Super Bowls and, and some great things. But it afforded me the opportunity to kind of see the media side of sports from a very young age. It was something that even as a kid, I was nine years old when I decided I want to be a broadcaster. And so um, I think without my dad having his profession and without the exposure that I had to what is the the sports broadcasting and the sports media world, um, I might not be here. So, uh, you know, his profession has certainly shaped mine to a large degree. Did you always want to be a sports broadcaster or did you want to get in your father's business? Nope. My dad told me from a very early age that uh, broadcasting is uh, less work and more money than writing. <laughs> um, and he's not wrong, but, uh, you know, it was... It was always something that I wanted to get into from uh, the first time that I realized that that was somebody's job, is that they got there, they got paid to, to sit in the best seat in the house and talk about the game. And, and that was something that I wanted to do from that, that very first moment. And uh, I was nine years old. It was just after my ninth birthday when I decided that's what I wanted to do. So um, I've spent basically every day since then trying to get here. And um, I was fortunate enough to, to kind of get here over the summer and, and broadcast at the NHL level. So, were there any broadcasters particularly that you grew up admiring? I know a lot of people here in New York area will say Marv Albert, you know, Mike Emmerich, who broadcasts here with the Devils. Yep. Is there anybody in particular? Yeah, I mean, really, growing up in 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 Bergen County, New Jersey, it's it's a great place because you've got the New York City market and you've got really the best of, of everybody. So, when it comes to hockey, I had, you know, the three guys that I grew up with were, were Doc Emmerich, were Sam Rosen and Howie Rose. I mean, those were the three guys that called hockey on a regular basis, um, you know, that I was exposed to from a young age. And, um, you know, and, and they weren't my only, uh, you know, I wasn't always narrowed in on hockey. I certainly, you know, enjoyed baseball. My dad covering the Yankees, so I, I got to know John Sterling and Michael Kay quite a bit. Um, I worked with Charlie Steiner when I was in college when I was coming up when he was on the Yankee broadcast. I, I think, you know, Gary Cohen does a terrific job, and these guys have all been with their respective places for such a long time. Uh, even on the basketball side, you've got guys like Mike Breen hanging around and Marv Albert, who you mentioned. I mean, there's Kenny Albert. I mean, there's so many just in this area that I was uh, really fortunate to grow up here. So, um, obviously, you started your broadcast career when you were at Ithaca College. So, talk about that experience. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, a school that was perfect for me. I think that uh, it's a small school with a really good communications program. And because of that, I was afforded a lot of opportunities that... Uh, you know, kids maybe coming out of school were hoping to get the experience that I graduated with. Uh, I was the sports director of two different radio stations while I was there. Um, I did, uh, I broadcast play by play for pretty much every sport they had on both radio and television. Uh, I did nightly sports casts uh, on the news shows that they had. So I really walked out with a lot of tape and a lot of experience uh, where I was able to kind of get a job quite quickly and kind of move from there. But without that, um, you know, it, it could have taken me a lot longer to get here than, than I wound up having. So right out of college, uh, you got jobs doing some minor league baseball. Talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, like I said, I never really was zoned in on hockey. I always just wanted to be a broadcaster at the highest level possible, and I, and I love baseball. Uh, that was my first uh, kind of inkling towards being a broadcaster was to be a baseball broadcaster, but having played hockey my whole life, I kind of gravitated towards that, or at least it, it gravitated towards me. Um, but I was I was trying to do both. I was trying to do hockey and baseball, and so uh, I graduated in May, which is baseball season, so I was able to get a job in June doing baseball, and by the next October, I was in ECHL doing hockey and then back to baseball and back to hockey. And, uh, you know, the first few years out of school was, was just back and forth. And then uh, when I got to the American Hockey League level, I had to uh, 
I had to just do hockey because it was a year-round position, and so I wasn't able to leave and do baseball during the summer. So um, I, I kind of say hockey chose me more than I chose hockey, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that it did. What would you say is the biggest difference between um, baseball play-by-play and hockey play-by-play? Yeah, I would say they're they're probably the two most difficult sports to call for the exact opposite reasons. I think that the action in hockey is the tough part, is being able to match the speed and the intensity and the energy and emotion that you have on the ice and kind of reproduce that with the tone of your voice. That's the hard part. In baseball, describing the action is easy. The action very rarely picks up to a speed that's hard to keep up with. It's the ability to keep a broadcast entertaining for three, sometimes four or more hours without the constant action. I mean, at the end of the day, if I don't tell uh, an interesting story about a hockey player, I can just call the game, and no one will really notice. But if you've got no information and no material and no uh, entertainment value to a baseball broadcast, it's going to be pretty stale pretty quick. So, um, you know, they're both a lot of prep. They're both very hard to do, um, but I think for, for very different reasons. So you got your first job with the um, ECHL. Uh, talk about getting that first job with ECHL. Yeah, I, I got a job in Wheeling, West Virginia with the Wheeling Nailers. Uh, I was right out of school. I was 22 years old. It was my first, basically, hockey season out of school, and I was fortunate enough where uh, I kind of, I don't want to say lucked into it, but I had sent my demo tape to a team that didn't have an opening, and then last second they had an opening, and they already had my tape. So um, they wound up calling me, and uh, that started my pro career. I spent two years in the ECHL uh, with the Wheeling Nailers. My second year I got... Uh, I got to do the All-Star Game. I got Broadcaster of the Year Award at the end of the season. And I got a, a chance to move on to the American League after that and kind of progress from there. So I spent two years in the ECHL. I spent eight years in the American Hockey League. And uh, now closing in on the end of my first season here in the NHL. So in terms of the, uh, the AHL, you actually had a kind of like, I guess, weird story because you're, the franchise that you were with all those years, they were originally, what was it called, um, Pajoy Riverman. Yep. And then they became the Comets at some point? Yeah, after I was in Peoria for five years, the St. Louis Blues, who owned the Peoria Riverman, sold the franchise. Um, and they wound up, uh, uh, they sold their franchise and they were no longer in the minor league business. And so I lost my job. I was I was out of a job. I was on unemployment. I didn't know where I was going to go next. And then um, they wound up selling the franchise to the Vancouver Canucks, who decided to put it in Utica, New York. And so once they decided to put it in Utica, New York. I contacted some people, and I was able to to get my job back, basically, and continue on broadcasting. So um, I moved moved twice uh, and, and uh, got to experience uh, the Midwest for a while in Illinois with, with five years and then got to move back to the East Coast um, in upstate New York. And so um, it was... Uh, there were some trying times, but to be able to, to stick in the American Hockey League for eight years and, and get myself in a position to be here in the NHL made it all worth it. So, so oh, that's interesting. I thought that they just, they just, um, I just thought that when they, um, when the franchise got um, sold that you were, you were, um, you went, you went along with them, but yeah. it seems like what you're saying is that that's not the case. The fact nope. that you had to basically fight for your job back. So, talk, yeah. Talk yeah, about those no. months where you didn't know if you were even going to have a job with, with an American yeah. team. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was pretty confident in my skills and with my, you know, my resume that as long as the Canucks decided to put the uh, put the, the franchise within the United States, I would have been okay with an opportunity to get it. If they put the, the team in, somewhere in Canada, which was certainly possible, uh, they wouldn't going to hire an American to come with them. So um, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, 
and so I just continued to kind of work every outlet, and, and, and there was a chance that I would be out of hockey and, and tried another path, but uh, luckily it didn't come to that, and I was able to continue on uh, in the American Hockey League. So what would you say is your... How, what would you say was your most enjoyable moment calling games for, I guess, that franchise period? Yeah, you know, we went to the finals in, in 2015, um, in the 14-15 season. We went all the way to the the, uh, the Calder Cup final. And, and to be able to, you know, we called 99 games that year. We went all the way, you know, we won a game five, which was the decisive game in the first round. We won a game seven in the second round. There were some just spectacular moments, and the intensity of playoff hockey, um, even at the American hockey level, is outstanding. And so to be a part of that um, and to kind of experience that, which I had never done in my first, I guess it would have been seven years calling hockey, uh, to be able to get to do that um, was, was really, really a cool moment to be able to go through that. So what would you say the connection between a city and a minor league team is different than a major league t- uh, franchise? So how would you say the connection between a franchise and a minor league team is? It's huge. It's everything, I think, because, uh, you know, they're not necessarily, the, the fans, I mean, are not necessarily supporting the hockey team because they love hockey. Uh, some do. But a lot of that, they just want to feel the connection to something bigger than them. Um, and so you, you need the players to be ambassadors for the brand um, and to, to make the fans feel like you know they're more than just somebody you know paying the bills by, by buying season tickets. Because if you don't have season ticket holders and you don't have the corporate sponsors, you know minor league teams can't succeed. I mean, that's the same thing at the NHL level. But um, a lot of times it is, it is fans that want to feel connected, that want to, you know, not only buy a jersey of a player, but shake their hand and get an autograph. And there's a lot more accessibility for players when it comes to the minor league level. So um, if you don't have that, if you don't have the community service aspect of it, you don't have these guys out reading to kids and visiting hospitals and doing uh, school visits, uh, you know, you're not going to have a successful franchise. So the, the relationship between the players and, and the, the organization itself and the community, uh, without that, it, it just doesn't happen. So talk about your role with the um, comments. Uh, um, it's obviously I don't know many people know this, but in terms of like minor league broadcasting, the broadcaster has more than responsibility than just calling the game. Yeah. So you have m- more responsibility. So talk about those responsibilities that you've had. Yeah, you know I've I've done a lot of things, and uh, you know when it comes to most recently in Utica, my main uh, jobs on top of the broadcasting were. Uh, involving team travel. I booked all the flights, hotels, meals, buses, uh, everything when it comes to uh, a a team leaving home. Um, You know, and I worked very closely with the coaching staff and outlined schedules for the players. And, you know, it was was really cool to be involved in that aspect of it because you get a little bit more of an understanding and appreciation for what actually goes on. Um, And even here now that I'm at this level, I kind of understand what everybody does, everybody's job is. And I think that that's always great for everybody to have a a basic understanding of what everybody goes through in their daily routine. And working at the minor league level, you certainly get that. But I've I've had to sell tickets. I've had to sell corporate sponsorships. I've had to run public relations and media relations and social media and all that um, on top of doing the one thing that I love to do, and that's broadcast hockey. So that must be exhausting, especially doing all that during a game day. So how would you say... All your time consumed on a game day was like yeah it's hard it's hard to to focus on the one thing that you want to focus on because you're right it's exhausting and by the time that puck drops at seven o'clock you're ready for bed um but you can't be and so um 
you know, it, it's a lot about time management. It's a lot of you work more hours on non-game days so that you have more free time to focus on what you need to on game days so that you're not running yourself into the ground, uh, you know, by the time the game comes around. So um, it, it's certainly a challenge, and, and it's certainly tough on not only you but on your family life. You know, I've, I've got a wife, and uh, my last couple of years in the, in the American Hockey League, and my daughter was there too, so it's, it's tough to balance all of that and still, you know, have the passion and energy and enthusiasm that you need to, to be a good broadcaster at the end of the day. So actually, you actually have some NHL experience before you got this job at the Islanders. Talk about that. Uh, you got time to fill in for um, the Blues radio announcement? Yeah, it was after just a few years in the American Hockey League. Chris Kerber, uh, the Blues radio broadcaster's father, was sick and, and uh, you know, uh, not great circumstances, but they called me and, and I flew to Nashville and, and did a game for him. And I wound up flying to Denver and Phoenix and doing a couple of more. So I uh, got my first taste. I was 27 years old. Got my first taste in the NHL calling, uh, calling St. Louis Blues hockey and... You know, that experience and that tape that I got from that was certainly helpful in, in being able to convince, you know, somebody like the New York Islanders or MSG Networks that I can call NHL hockey because I didn't have to say, here's my AHL work. I promise you I could sound good at the NHL level. It was, hey, here's, here's a few games that I did at the NHL level. Take a listen and let me know if you like it. So um, that was certainly a great experience, but also some really valuable tape to get. Now, do you wish you were, uh, got an opportunity to do some Vancouver Canucks games? I know because they're a Canadian team. Obviously, things are a lot different. But would well, not. I mean, I would. I would have loved to do NHL games at, at any point for any team at that point. But um, you know, that's not why I was doing it in Utica. I was doing Utica to do it in Utica, and then hopefully somebody would you know recognize that uh, I would be a good fit for their team full time, and that's what happened. But no, it's uh, you know, it wasn't anything. I hadn't even been to a Canucks. The first Canucks game I had ever been to in my life was was broadcasting for the Islanders. So, oh wow! I didn't. Um, I didn't you know Vancouver that. and Utica are you know three thousand miles away, <laughs> so it's not too often that we get out there. So there was no involvement with the Canucks in any way when you were in Utica. Uh, they own the franchise. It was their players, but in terms of my job, no. I worked for the Utica Comets. Well, you also did some other stuff as well. Um, you also got to call some high school hockey for Hockey Day in Minnesota. How was that experience like? Yeah, great. It was kind of my first uh, real experience in calling hockey on television, was uh, doing some high school games outdoors, a really great event called Hockey Day Minnesota that they do for Fox Sports North and in the Minneapolis area. And so, um, you know, getting to learn kind of the TV side of it, because TV and radio are pretty different. So uh, to be able to do that... Um, was was a great experience. I wanted to doing that for four years, and to be honest with you, if I didn't get this Islanders job, I hopefully would still be doing it because it's a lot of fun. So how's that? How's that? How's that work in terms of broadcasting? Was it like just one game, or was there many games? In- there were three, three, three each day. Uh, you know, all outside, all at the same venue, back to back to back. Basically, two girls' games and a boys' game. So. Um, you know, it was uh, the first year was pretty cold, and that makes for a long day because you're outside the whole day. But it was uh, it's a really really cool event. So talk about the difference between preparing for one game and preparing for three games in itself. That must the preparation must be intense, right? Yeah, I mean, it's for me. I prep the same way, so you just have to do it all again. Time management comes into play for being able to prep that way. Uh, you know, for three games and make sure you get all the prep done that you need to. But the the biggest challenge is trying to get the the right information in your head and the wrong information out of your head uh, because you've got so many names and numbers and tidbits floating around that you need to have them all ready to go on the same day to try and not screw those. Up. That, that, I think, probably the most challenging thing to be doing multiple games in the same day. So let's talk about the big, I guess, the job that you have now. So how did you get it? Obviously, when Harry Rose announced that he wasn't coming with the Islanders, you saw a big opportunity there. So how did you 
find out about first Howie saying he wasn't going to come back with the Islanders and then your application to be, become the um, Islanders announcer. Yeah, I mean, I found out about the same way everybody else did, right, in the newspaper. I mean, it was, uh, you know, and, and, and of course, you know, once you see that, you're excited and, and think, hey, maybe this is an opportunity for, whether it be for me to get the job or maybe a current NHL radio broadcaster to get the job, and then that would open up spots somewhere else. But when you're, when you're waiting for an NHL job and you're in the American Hockey League, any movement is good movement. You just, you know, it gives you an opportunity to, to get your work in front of somebody's face and hopefully they like you. Um, and you never know where that may lead to. Um, so uh, I do have an agent. My agent contacted the Islanders and, well, really MSG Networks right away and started a dialogue with them. And, and it was a process that started at the end of May and um, didn't end until early in August. So it really took all summer to get it figured out. I wound up uh, interviewing for it. I wound up coming in a month later and auditioning for it. Um, and then uh, eventually, last August, they, they offered me the job and I had to uh, to move in a hurry and get ready for, uh, for my first season in the NHL, which is uh, amazing that it's already come and gone. So it had to be tough a little bit to leave Utica. What is the biggest thing that you that you miss about uh, doing the Utica Comets games? Um, probably just uh, you know kind of the things that I, that I wasn't happy about doing when I was doing them, and that's you know working so closely with the players and the staff. You you build a relationship with those guys, and, and you understand you know you're you're more part of the team when it comes to the minor league level because you know I did help them, I did plan their schedules, and I did you know do a lot of the things for them. Where here I'm ju- I'm just a broadcaster. I'm not involved with with any of the planning, any of the work behind the scenes. So um, I, I do kind of remi- miss the relationships that I had with the the players and the coaching staff at that level. Um, um, but I wouldn't trade the opportunity that I have here for anything. So talk about that first game that you did. Um, obviously, Madison Square Garden, everybody wants to be Madison Square Garden, <laughs> whether it's a broadcaster, fan, whatever. How was that experience just going to the game, calling the game, and then just the whole experience in general? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty surreal just to think that, you know, my first real NHL game was at Madison Square Garden, arguably the most famous arena in the world, and, um, you know, you get up to the press box and you look to your left and you've got a Hall of Famer in Sam Rosen, and you look a little bit farther down and Kenny Albert's calling the same game, and you're like, this is this is my new job. This is pretty cool. Uh, you know, and then the, to throw in the Islanders-Rangers rivalry and the intensity of opening night, I mean, it went by in a blur. I mean, uh, I've got a lot of memorable moments from my first season in the NHL. Uh, opening night, I can say, was a memorable moment, but I, ver- I remember very little of it because it just went by so fast um, and, and was it, it was pretty cool to, again, even just to be walking outside the building and go, all right, I'm going to work, and it's inside Madison Square, and that was a, a pretty cool day. So, uh, talk about some memorable moments so far this season. Any ones come to mind? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the first time going a lot of places and the first time meeting a lot of people, and, you know, there's, there's so many broadcasters that I've spent my life listening to and watching and, and now being able to talk to them and, and having them know who I am and, and having watched my games and, and tell me, give some feedback from them. It's been it's been really cool. I mean, I, I got to hang out with Doc Emmerich a little bit a few times, which was uh, really special to me. You know, Bob Miller, who's retiring this weekend in Los Angeles, my first trip to the Staples Center, you know, he gave me a tour of the booth. I mean, just little moments like that where you're you're kind of taken aback and, uh, you know, I, you try not to get starstruck, and it's it's kind of strange to think about being starstruck over guys that are your colleagues now, but, you know, these guys are, are legends in the field, and to be able to spend some time with them and, uh, you know, just talk to them and get some feedback from them, you know, those are more the moments, more than anything on the ice or any goals that were scored. Uh, it's kind of the, the personal relationships and, and getting to talk to a lot of some really, really great people at the NHL level. 
So what about the the man that you replaced with, Bikari Rose? Uh, and obviously, I remember when I remember your Twitter when you first got the job. I was like, ah, the new Howie. So obviously, you have yeah. a lot of respect for Howie. Tons. So how do you describe your relationship with him? Yeah, you know, my dad covered the Mets for for a few years, and so I've known Howie from a few years back from when I was still in college, I would say. Um, and he is a guy that has always been in my corner um, and be more than willing to listen to my tape and give me some feedback. And, uh, you know, if I needed him to, to make a recommendation for a job, he was more than happy to. Uh, and then when it came down to the fact that it was his job that was open, and he obviously has a lot of contacts with, you know, the people that were, they kept him involved, MSG kept him involved in the process of, of trying to, you know, find the replacement. And so, um you know, by no means was the deck stacked, but I had a guy that I could call and say, "Hey, this is something I really feel passionate about," and, and he was more than happy to to make sure that everybody knew who I was and they could judge me for for themselves. But um, I, I have the tremendous respect for him to replace a guy who had been doing it for 21 years is not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, and I got a call from him right before I went on the air for the first time, and you know, the advice he gave me was, "Don't." act like you're filling in for anybody and by anybody he means himself because that's the guy I'm filling in for and I'm not filling in uh, but he made that point and I never really thought about it until he said that uh, and so my mindset from then on out was uh, don't act like this is your first season even though it was because at the end of the day you know Islanders fans just want to talk about or hear about Islanders hockey they don't care that I'm new and they shouldn't care that I'm new they should care about the Islanders and the game and the product that's on the ice and the product that's on their TV um, so I'm not afraid to talk about things last year that I didn't witness like I was there I'm not afraid to talk about things from five years ago either um, you know and so with that mindset and that comes from Howie and that comes from his words of encouragement uh, you know I think that was my 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 mindset coming into the season and I think uh, I think the fans recognized that and, and, and appreciated that yeah, I was gonna ask, how much of NHL action were you um, keeping up with, with with all the years that you're doing at AHL? Yeah, on the periphery a little bit, uh, you know, because AHL obviously was my life. I lived and breathed it. But you know, more of I know more about the guys that nobody in the NHL knows anything about because I know a lot about the 13th and 12th forwards that were up and down between the American Hockey League and the NHL. The guys that play six or seven minutes a night that are mm-hmm. all stars down in the AHL, you know. So it, it's funny. I know more about the guys on that end of it than, than the superstars really. So, um, it's certainly taken some work, but, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, now being a year into it and seeing all the teams multiple times, you, you get a pretty good understanding pretty quickly and it'll grow from here. So, um, obviously tomorrow will be, it might be the last game. I'm not, yeah, not might sure. Be. Well, so what are you hoping for in terms of tomorrow night's game against the Ottawa Senators? Yeah, I mean, we'll know here shortly what it means, if it means anything or not. If uh, if the Penguins can beat the Maple Leafs, that would be uh, that would be huge just to give the Islanders a chance to, to kind of do their part. I mean, it would be... It would be tough to watch this team run as as hard as they did and get as close as they did just to, to come up empty. At least uh, if the Penguins can win tonight, come tomorrow, the Islanders can get off the ice with a win and hope. And then you never know what's going to happen. But if, if there's no hope going in, uh, you know, it'll be... It'll be the the celebration of a season that certainly didn't end the way the teams wanted it to or the team wanted it to, Um, but there were some remarkable strides taken. Where this team has come from uh, really since Christmas where they were in last place in the league or last place in the Eastern Conference at least, the the coaching changes that they've made, all the things they've been through to get as close as they are right now, even if this is as close as they can, just a a remarkable stretch for a lot of these players who, who will be back next season and something to build on. So regardless of how it goes, whether it's tomorrow's last game or you have some playoff games, 
What are you going to do in the summer when it's over? Relax. <laughs> be a dad. Uh, I had a baby about six weeks ago, and so this will be my first summer where I don't have to sit in an office all day during the summer. So I'm really looking forward to spending a lot of time with my family, and, and if there are other opportunities that pop up, uh, I, I'd be more than happy to... Uh, to dust off the pipes and, and get back in a booth over the summer. But if, if nobody calls, I will just uh, be relaxed and, uh, and, and storing the information away, headed towards uh, next hockey season. So you also do some um, college football for FS1. So talk about how did you, how'd you get that um, opportunity. Yeah, it came around the same time that I was looking for work because I had lost my job in Utica. So, um, you know, my agent and contacting different people, and I had, I had done a couple of high school football games for Fox Sports North, the same people that I do Hockey Day Minnesota for. Um, and with the tape of that, it caught the attention of some of the execs in uh, in Los Angeles that, that run Fox. And so with that, I was able to, uh, to get an opportunity to call uh, 10 college football games initially the first year, and then uh, I've been doing it the last four years, so... Um, it's something that I didn't have a whole lot of experience with in terms of calling football, but something I've really grown to enjoy. Do you hope to do more uh, once you get some equity within MSG, or are you just you're happy doing the three games and that's it? What three games? Like three, like I know you usually do like three games. You did three games, uh, college football, in like September, and then when the season started. Yeah, it's just the schedule. I mean, it, it, you know, it, I can if if we don't have a uh, an Islanders game on Fridays and Saturdays, then then I'm free to go do them. So it's just a matter of how the schedule works out. If if it's something that I can do five or six next year, I'd love to do five or six. But if it's something that I can only do a couple, this the Islanders are my primary mm-hmm. focus. So if if it doesn't work out, obviously the Islanders win out. Uh, you know, when it comes to the conflicts there. Okay. Well, usually I ask my guests, how would you like to be remembered? But since you're so, I guess your career has so much more years to go, I would ask, what are you hoping to accomplish uh, moving forward, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, uh, this first season, I, my goal was really to just be accepted by the fans. Um, you know, I didn't want, not that I didn't want, but I wasn't expecting anybody to run home and, and say, Brendan Burke's my new favorite broadcaster. I just wanted to be accepted uh, to where fans didn't even remember that I was new. Um, and, and hopefully I've done that. And so moving forward, I just want to kind of build on that with the relationship with the viewers um, and continue to work with, you know, my partner, Butch Goring and, and Shannon Hogan on the intermissions and, and continue that. And, um, you know, this is, you know, this is the dream job. This is not something where I'm looking for a way out or looking for something else. I'm, I'm just looking to, uh, to, to continue to improve and, and, and be better at my craft. And, you know, we talked about just before we, we started this, this show was, um, the only way you can get better at doing play-by-play is to do play-by-play. So uh, hopefully I'm, I'm better tomorrow than I was today, and that continues on for years to come. Okay. Well, that was Brendan Burke. Um, glad you enjoyed this. Uh, hope you enjoyed this edition of the Broadcast Journal, and hope you enjoy the next edition when it comes out. So this is Kobe Pia and Brendan Burke saying so long from the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey.